other day I was looking through all of the developed countries and trying to figure out which country would underperform relative to the United States because we're literally connected at the hip and you would think that if the states does you know phenomenally well in technology and given that Toronto uh, Canada is a hub for uh, technology and engineering innovation because we, we have a lot of research centers there figure that uh, you know, Canada would do exceptionally well. The one thing you have to realize with Canada is Canada is not very diversified in terms of the sectors, like in the United States. We do have a technology base and they do very well. Like, I mean, one, one obvious name that stands out to a lot of people, and we kind of call it the Amazon of Canada, which is uh, Shopify. Shopify is, is a stock that has done phenomenally well over the years. It, it behaves a lot like Amazon and they're, they're different animals. I mean, it's obviously much, much smaller, but it's got tremendous potential in the future. And, but in terms of what I'm seeing right now, it's not necessarily, I, I, want, I want Amazon. It doesn't compare anything like Amazon. On, on my work, the sentiment structure going forward, it's better than what the, the TSX looks like. When I look at the TSX through my uh, sentiment term structure, it's telling me the most devastating depression in the 2020s. So it's going to be a long lasting depression uh, is going to unfold in Canada. Part of it, it will be because there's better opportunities elsewhere. A lot of capital is not going to be, there'll be a lot of capital not flowing in here, but a lot of it has to do with a lot of Canadians and small and mid-sized businesses essentially were technically bankrupt before this coronavirus hit. And now, you know, technically bankrupt, basically meaning they had maybe, you know, a couple months worth of, you know, of money left before bankruptcy. And, and with this situation, I'm expecting, you know, an enormous number of companies to go bankrupt. And that's regardless of what the government really does. The government could put money in, but they were already non-viable businesses. And a lot of these, these uh, consumers, you know, were responsible, you know, propping up the retail industry in Canada. Obviously, with real estate prices going up, they, you know, they were able to lever the uh, financialization of the system in order to get extra money, in order to spend more. But, you know, you could only lever so much. And when there's a deleveraging process unfolding and people getting nervous and wanting to, to save because they don't know what future entails, you get a combination of, you know, a supply shock with a demand shock. And, and another thing that's different than the States is that in Canada, we didn't have the crash, like a housing crash, like the States had. And, and we didn't get the devastating kind of effect that the U.S. got in 2008. We, we sold off, but we, we kind of were able to find our base but the U.S. was not like that when there was that debacle. So with the mortgage-backed securities. So Canada has a very long bubble that has progressed beyond any kind of, you know, anyone's wildest imaginations. And when you get a sudden uh, correction coming off of a bubble, which could not be maintained, you get a situation that looks a lot like a 1929-style crash. What will make it a long-term crash will be the fact that there's going to be a, uh, a period of deflation, and but also there could even be a period of inflation because a lot of products that we buy aren't made in Canada. And because those products that are made in the States, uh, with all that money printing going on in the United States, and unlike in um, Japan, when they had their situation where there was a lot of money printing, what happened in Japan, that deflation, it, see what, what happened is Japan 
made investments with a lot of that money that they printed rather than just circulate it in their own economy and increase the supply of the of the currency what they did was they used a lot of that money in order to invest in foreign companies so that they were investing in assets so even though the currency was going up and there was additional debt to the gdp the debt was offset by assets that were of those of that currency that was invested in other parts of the world in the states it's very different in the states you're going to get all this currency being printed up but when it's printed up because there's so much money that's going to be basically paid back because a lot of people you know are going to pay back a lot of the debt because they're concerned about the future. When they do that, the money multiplier effect of the banks based on, you know, all that money that's that's not going to be, you know, loaned out anymore once they start paying it back, that has a greater effect than all of the the trillions of dollars that they're printing. But that's why you're going to have a deflation first and these low interest rates. But what's likely going to happen is that once that subsides and they continue to print money to get us out of this debacle and we continue to make new highs, I mean, at least in tech, uh, I don't want to talk about the rest of the economy because I, I believe it's bifurcated. So I'm just focusing on the areas that make sense, which is tech, biotech, and gold, which benefits ultimately from either a, a deflation environment or an inflationary environment. So we tend right now to have deflation. If you keep on printing that money and if that money and that supply of currency stays inside the United States, then the velocity of that money, once it starts picking up, will actually make the value of the currency erode. And that will lead to inflation. And in order for the Federal Reserve to offset the risk of inflation, they're going to have to raise rates. And unfortunately, that will be what will prick the final bubble. It's just that right now we're inflating it in technology because there are key industrial drivers and technological shifts that are gonna happen no matter what. But eventually, now but here's the problem, if the states raises rates, that is a problem, you know, eventually that will be a problem for the states. Is good If Canada has lower rates, but we don't produce a lot of the products that the states produces, then yeah, for certain products, people will come to Canada. But our economy isn't just made up of just one sector. So a whole lot of our economy in Canada will erode. And one of the big components of the Canadian economy, you know, has been in the past and, and the banks are holding, you know, well, they're not holding as much now. They, you know, it used to be a big deal in Canada, like the, the debt that was being held in terms of uh, oil companies. So a lot of like the, the oil companies in Canada are going to crash. They have crashed, but will actually literally, you know, disappear. Now you would think, well, the Canadian banks, that have interest in it. It's, it's really come down substantially over the years. So that's not the thing that's gonna kill it. What's gonna kill it is small and medium-sized businesses perishing in this kind of environment, in a deflationary and then an inflationary environment eventually. Um, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of people that have been talking about it for decades that, oh, there's the, the deflation and the bubble and nothing ever happens. It just keeps on inflating and inflating. But one thing about this prediction machine, because I'm looking at events, not moving towards you, but the conditions that are going to materialize, not once during that rally that we just recently had, did it indicate that the conditions were going to be in place for this thing to continue getting decimated. But right now, the conditions are in place. So because of the bias of the, of the, of the, uh, the consumers and, and the businesses 
and the investors are going to be looking at bad information through a very pessimistic lens, which will amplify bad information. And ultimately, there is bad numbers that come out. Sometimes you have good numbers, but when you're looking through it through a non-rosy lens or a pessimistic lens, you tend to focus on the bad numbers and disregard the good numbers. And when that happens, stocks tend to underperform, where it's the opposite in technology in the United States that I've mentioned. In that case, the term structure of sentiment for the different various investors and consumers is actually looking at the data through a rosy lens. So when data comes out, they tend to disregard negative numbers and focus on the positive. So it amplifies good information and reduces the effect of negative information. That's kind of like going to, uh, you know, to a casino and the casino telling you, hey, when you lose, we'll just give you another coin for free. Eventually, you're going to win. That's kind of what a, a sentiment structure that technology has in the states and the names I mentioned. But in Canada, it's got the exact opposite structure. As a, tot as a totality. So individual companies, there's always going to be a bull market somewhere. But I, I'm mentioning this because what happens when a market runs too much, even in a good sector, whether it's in the States or in technology, and all you need is an excuse. You know, people just want an excuse to take profits. So they look around at the fundamentals. So what are they going to look around? They're going to look around at neighbors near them or different macro events. And if they see something happen, that, oh, when, when a profit taking starts taking place in the short term before the next run up in, in, in technology, let's say, and let's say this, whether this happens in, in the coming weeks or whether this happens in October this year, because that's usually a, a time period where things could happen in the short term, then if there is a pullback in the strong areas in, in the United States, then how would an underperforming country and sector do like in Canada? You, well, from my point of view right now, it looks as if when the US will have a correction or whatever it will be, uh, the Canada will have an epic crash. Now we've already had leg one of the crash, but I don't believe that leg one is over. This rally is, yes, it's significant, but not as significant as what the technology names have done. A lot of technology names have already made new highs even after falling more than 50 or 60% uh, in, in, in some of the names. Whereas Canada has done, you know, as the TSX was up at basically uh, 17,970 back in, uh, in February. And uh, we made a low down to 11,172. And now we've kind of bounced back to around 14,400. So we're not even, you know, halfway, we're not even halfway back to the high, we still have unfinished business to do from uh, my perspective. Like this thing needs to come down to around 9,200 minimum just to finish the first leg down. So I don't believe that we even completed the first leg where the states did the first leg and then it was over in technology. I'm not saying it's over. I'm not saying there's not gonna be a retest in the S&P. That could happen because there's a lot of sectors in the S&P, like I mentioned, that are gonna be seriously affected by this activity, which is exactly why you want to focus on specific industries that are going to do well regardless, you know, either benefit from what just happened, or they had tailwinds that were already in place and an industrial revolution that was unfolding well before that you, that's unstoppable. But Canada doesn't have, you know, it's not made up of those kind of components.
So it, it's made up of a lot of components that would do very poorly in, in, in this kind of uh, upcoming environment. So no matter how high the, the TSX goes in the near term, there, there's no question in, in the term structure of sentiment that indicates that a market contagion of, of forced selling will likely take place where there'll be some kind of liquidity freeze in the market that you could have precipitously, you know, you could have a flash crash easily. Because one thing about like the difference between the States and Canada is we have pretty good systems, definitely good trading systems here, but we're not, our systems are not made to handle the type of volume that necessarily the NASDAQ or the N NYSE could actually sustain. So if we were to get like an epic crash, like what I'm talking about in waves, like we'll get a first wave, you know, there'll be a wave, uh, you know, going into next year, but this decade, there's going to be multiple rolling crashes, each one bigger than the last. I just, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see the, the uh, TSX at least. Well, let's talk about best case scenario. Best case scenario would be before 2023 would be 9,200 on the TSX, which could all happen in one day, technically. What uh, year again? At 2023. So I, I see a bear market at minimum into that period. But the, here's the thing, after that period, it gets more dangerous because any rallies that happen after that period, they're likely could have caused lows in the TSX to drop below 6,000. So we're talking about another like over 50% haircut from these crash levels. And it's not just about the, the magnitude of the drop. And I'm not even saying that's the low. I can make a case for the TSX going down to 1,000 from 13,000. It's not about the price. It has to do with how fast you come down, how, how destabilized the currency is. Like, because if the currency becomes destabilized uh, when, when that kind of crash happens, and I'm just gonna go check the currency just now just to see what it looks like. Um, so looking at the Canadian dollar right now, and the thing is, I'm just looking at the Canadian dollar relative to the US dollar, okay? But here's the thing. Can't just look at that because gold and all the hard assets in the world that can't be fabricated and, and printed in the fiat system, uh, relative to gold, the Canadian dollar is crashing, like just horrendously. Because think about it. The US dollar is falling relative to gold. The Canadian dollar is falling relative to the United States. So you've got two factors that are smashing the value of the Canadian dollar. And one thing that markets and economies hate most, especially economies, is a very unstable, volatile currency because it's very difficult for businesses to make any kind of bold decisions in terms of their capital spending because they just don't know, uh, you know whether they should be buying things because a lot of their components come from the United States or come from areas where the, you know, the purchasing power of, of those uh, products that go into their end product are gonna be more expensive because of all this money printing and because of the fact that you know, people will start getting nervous to invest in Canada if uh, we go through you know, this kind of turmoil. There will come a point where prices get so depressed in certain industries, there'll be one-off you know, sectors or names that private equity and, and, and big investors will come in and say, hey, you know what, this company is trading below you know, it, its uh, 
replacement value. But you know what? But in market crashes, when people are viewing things through a negative sentiment lens, nobody cares about replacement value because people tend to make bad decisions during periods of extreme uncertainty. And the sentiment structure is indicating to me that it's not going to be uncertain from my perspective, but uncertain from the perspective of other investors that are using algorithms that are making the assumption that information moves towards them instead of the conditions forming on top of them, just like the analogy I made earlier. And by making the that- tornadoes mistake, and storms, right? Exactly. So by making that, that mistake, um, what will happen is there will be increasing amounts of uncertainty. And even though stocks may be trading, companies may trade below intrinsic value or replacement costs, there could still be a reason for the companies to go substantially lower. History has shown stocks trading way below replacement costs. And part of the reason is that when capital allocation decisions are made in error in times of uncertainty, they could end up making decisions that are wrong and using up a lot of the capital that may be on the balance sheet that seems like the company is worth that. But in a moment's notice, if they deploy it incorrectly, they could actually lose that capital just as quickly as a hedge fund manager can make a bad investment in a stock. So uh, I think these are a lot of things we're going to have to pay attention to. And from my point of view, this is just the beginning of the Canadian dollar crash relative to the U.S. dollar. Think about it. If Canada is underperforming and Canadians are seeing their portfolios perform relatively poorly compared to the United States, even if they perform relatively okay while the rally is taking place. But there's always going to be a correction, even a short-term one in the U.S. During that short-term correction, Canada won't be in a correction. It'll be in a precipitous fall. So every time, so think of it as a stair step. The U.S. takes, like the U.S. tech takes a big step up and then it takes a step down and then a big step up. Well, when it takes the, the big step up, Canada's taking a, a small to moderate step up, then when the States takes a small to moderate step down before the next big step, Canada's taking a massive step down. So each time you, you take a, a small to medium step, you're followed by a massive down step. Every one of those steps make new lows, where, it, where in technology, it makes new highs. So don't get, a lot of people get confused about the correlation. Oh, the TSX, and the New York Stock Exchange or the, or the NASDAQ both fell. They both fell equally. So therefore, it doesn't matter what you invest in. Don't focus on what happens when they fall. Focus on which ones are the first to recover and make new highs. Or when they come off the top, which one has a bigger fall that can't be recovered? And what you're going to find is it's going to be the companies in Canada, and a lot of them are not, that are not tied to technology that are going to put pressure on the, on the Canadian market. But the stock market, as I've said many times, is not the same thing as the economy. Uh, right. A lot of times, like, you know, people were worried, oh my God, the economy, all these numbers coming out, terrible. Meanwhile, I was predicting, uh, and it wasn't really me, it was the, the prediction machine that I developed, which is smarter than I am in terms of crunching data and coming up with these term structures of sentiment. It was telling me that, the stock market was going to explode because that's just because people were going to start perceiving any kind of positive information in a good light and any kind of negative information it was going to put on hold. And this is exactly what's happening. And 
And when you put it on hold, it doesn't mean you don't get a reaction if something really bad happens that day. But it means that it, 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 the, the time period that data gets processed is very short-lived and the time period that good information gets reused over and over again. Sometimes you have a story and then people read the same story five times over and, and celebrate it five, you know, five times over. So you could have a situation where bad news comes out and the market sells off for two days, good news comes out, but meanwhile, the market goes up for 10 days. And it's like, did anything happen? Did anything change? No, nothing changed. They're just celebrating the same piece of information because there's nothing else to focus on and they're only focusing on good things. The other thing is when markets are depressed as much as they are, big investors that see opportunity in companies that they did like before, but at a lower value, they tend to like going in in size. But whatever they wanted to buy can't be bought in one day. So it takes time. There's a delay between the decision to buy and the amount of time it takes to execute it. So because of that, you could end up getting many days of buying pressure based on seeing things through a rosy lens when you made that original decision. So you, those are the two factors that are going to cause the big step on the upside. But what concerns me about Canada is that it's the currency market that concerns me. It's the currency, the Canadian currency and our purchasing power relative to the United States and specifically relative to commodities that, you know, and, and items that we, that we need to survive on as a, from a consumer basis. So we're gonna, there's gonna be a lot of inflationary pressures in the consumer space down the line deflationary pressures on the monetary side initially, but then it could all turn eventually inflationary. But let's not go there right now. Let's just talk about the currency. I can make a case that as, as this year unfolds, you know, the Canadian dollar relative to gold, it could be quite intense. Is It's just exploding to the upside. I mean, it's had such a big run. So, I mean, yes, you could always get a, a correction, but it's, it's in a long-term up move, you know, so as far as I'm concerned, any pullbacks that happen, you're going to have substantial new highs as you push through the year. And, and, and that's going to, you know, erode eventually because gold is telling us that that's going to erode our purchasing value because gold tends to uh, reward investors um, in times of uh, both deflation and inflation. Yeah, so that's my real concern with Canada. So for Canadians, I would suggest that if you do have to be in Canada, make sure you're focused in the areas that are going to benefit from those key trends that I indicated in the United States. And I would also, because there's not that much diversification uh, opportunities in Canada, to actually go south of the border and look at those um, specific industry groups and sectors that I talked about and put a portion of the allocation. Talk to your professional advisor. And, and discuss all the things that I uh, talked about today uh, because I believe that you could definitely mitigate risk and improve um, your, out, your outperformance relative to uh, your peers. And we have some time, right? I mean, this isn't happening tomorrow or even within a year. Well, it's already started. I mean, like, look, the big drop that we've had it was, it was everywhere, right? It wasn't specific to Canada, that initial drop, because the states fell a lot, 
Canada fell a lot. The structure of the, the tech stocks I talked about in the, in the industries compared to the structure of the TXX, I'm going to give you a situation. I'm going to hone in in the short term and just show you how soon trouble could happen. Now, the thing is markets are evolving creatures. Okay. And the thing is, once I do get a confirmed signal, then, then I could stick to it. Okay. Like I have a confirmed signal for the intermediate to long-term, but if you're talking about in the coming weeks and the coming, you know, few months, you know, is Canada going to, you know, continue to just go up with all boats, you know, so if, if the NASDAQ goes up, is it just going to, and then have the pullback after now looking at Canada, the earliest you could have another big sell-off. These are the conditions that would have to happen. Right now, it's just trying to, it was trying to find support at around 13,700. We made that local high back on the 14th at around 14,440 on the TSX. And right now we're at 13,899. If we push up one more time, and I'll, I'll talk about this, like, you know, in the podcast, I'm going to have like a, you know, every podcast here on, I will give an update for Canadians, like mm. maybe talk for like two or three minutes, just giving the short term, because I think it's very important because once I get the short term confirmation with the intermediate term crash, there won't be a lot of time for you to prepare for the next massive way down. So, cause the market could just gap down overnight without any notice. And it could be an economic number that comes out. That's like, Whoa, we've got like 30% unemployment. And, 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 and the market just, you know, gaps down 2000 points on the TSX. So it's not going to do you any good if I don't update this and keep you, you know, keep the uh, Canadian listeners as well as us and foreign listeners that may have allocations in Canada, because it's not just Canadians that invest in Canada, but it's mostly Canadians that invest in Canada. And, mm -hmm. and uh, basically if we were to get one more push up here, uh, you know, even like, let's say to 14,000, above 14,400 or 14,700. And then, at, you know, at some point towards the end of the month, it shows that the setup's there. I think it's not there yet. So I can't discuss what's happening in the, in the super short term before the end of the month. But if that happens, then I could definitively say that, you know, we're just days away from another, you know, retest of the lows. So you could, you know, easily you know, fall uh, 4,000 points very, very quickly. And that's mm -hmm. a big move. Like sometimes it takes years to make a move like that. So if there are investors that bought the low and are in deep profit right now, and we end up getting another one of those, uh, right now, if you're in deep profit, I, and, and, and if I was you, I'd be out. I would just not be in Canada. And I would just, look, a lot of people say, well, don't get out on a crash because eventually the market can make a new high and then you're not going to be there for the long. I agree with all that, except one thing. I disagree getting out of the market at a low and staying out of the market in cash, but getting out of a market at a low in one economy and going into a low of a different economy that fell just as much, but has a better prospect for the rally, that is sensible. Okay. So right now, given that the technology in the United States is going to far exceed any rally, no matter how high it goes on the TSX, then, then that would make the case for a reallocation of at least some of the assets out of Canada into the States. And, and the nice thing about it is that because the US dollar is worth more than the Canadian dollar, and, and if you start making gains 
in the United States that are faster in percentage terms than the gains in Canada, not only are you benefiting from the outperformance of just the, the, the value of the stock, but you're benefiting from the increase from every dollar that you're percent that you're making, you're making it on a US currency that gets reflected in Canadian dollars. And you're so you're making you're making money there as well. Some people may say, well, yeah, but I don't want to convert it now because it was just such a big drop in the Canadian dollar. That's only relevant if you're taking the money out of uh, Canadian dollars and putting it into US cash. But if you're putting it, if you're taking it out of Canadian dollars and putting it to US equities that have a strong tailwind to go higher, then that will remove any of the, the currency risk that you have because the gain is because every dollar you make, you would literally have to have the Canadian dollar fall 40, fall back down below parity. Because right now it's like at one, you know, 140 above 140 handle. So it's like if it went down below parity, then yes, it's true that for every dollar you make in the States, you're just matching, you're making less when it converts back to Canadian. But, but because I'm expecting the amount of upside to be in some of these names 100% or more, and the downside in Canada to be 50%, there's no currency change that could possibly happen in Canada that would offset the risk from an equity basis. So from that point of view alone, uh, I would not look at currency. But from the point of view of making sure that your purchasing power is there in the future, I would look at allocating uh, you know, some money to gold Gold has already had a big run, but one thing that hasn't moved a lot are the gold stocks. They took a big whack when the market sold off. Some of them came back a bit. There's still a long runway for some of the uh, small cap uh, gold stocks. Those are the areas uh, to me that look interesting. And I will give you an update on uh, you know if we do get any kind of confirmed short-term signal. But if there's no confirmed signal, then you know there's nothing that says you can't get a rally. You could go back to... Uh, 15,900, you could go back to 16,700, but that doesn't change anything. And that's, you know, that just means that what's going to happen is I'm going to end up getting a crash signal sometime this year or early next year or any day now, because we're, we're setting up that there could be something coming up anytime. So if it's not, then whenever it comes, let's say we go up to 16,700, the next crash signal I get there. The, the speed that it goes back down, if it goes to 16,700, it's likely going to go down to about 5,000, but it, it will do it faster, maybe three or four times faster than the move that we just had in the past month. So it mm. would be absolutely devastating. So the most bearish thing that could possibly happen for Canada is to have a short-term rally that continues on this year and still stays below the break point from when the market started crashing in March and February, but then it's just gonna set up a catastrophic sell-off. Now, if the market doesn't have that rally, but it forms another sell signal in the, you know, somewhere between um, April and October without necessarily going that high and just say it stays where it is now or goes up to 15,000 or 14,000, then it doesn't change the fact that we're still gonna be in a rolling crash kind of bear market where we're gonna end up at 5,000 either way. But maybe initially you would, maybe you would only go from 15,000 to 10,000 and then have some kind of bounce halfway up and then come back down and make new lows. The worst thing that could happen is you go back to 16,700, you stall there, 
and then you get a crash signal there on a short-term time frame, which is already baked in the cards because we already have confirmation on the intermediate and long-term that this is going to happen. And mm -hmm. when that happens, then basically you're just going to have such a dislocation in such a fat, short period of time that people will be frightened. And usually those dislocations are associated with real-world events. Like when I saw this crash coming, I couldn't have imagined what it is. I always know it's something that out of left field, but this was way worse than I, I could have imagined. I thought it was just going to be an economic kind of number, but it wasn't. So if, this, if, if we get a situation and we get up to that 16,000 or whatever, we get another crash signal and it, and it goes multiple speeds down and deeper than we were just recently uh, going into uh, late March, that could be something even much worse than what we just experienced. And I mean, I, it's hard to imagine something much worse than coronavirus. But whatever it is, it, it, it seems to be telling me that the Canadian economy is not going to like it. Just a warning. So I just want to just finalize and say that uh, all the information that I mentioned today, I'm a, I have 100% conviction in every one of the things that I said. But according to uh, the laws of the land in the, the US, Canada, and the world, commentators online on podcasts are not allowed to um, provide financial advice. So whatever I've been discussing today is for educational and informational purposes only and to be used um, in coordination with you, um, the uh, viewer and the listener uh, discussing that with your professional advisor and understanding that if you don't have a professional advisor, that you're at your own risk for acting on any of this information because um, trading itself, you know, even investing could result in great loss if you are not familiar with uh, investing. And even if you are familiar, there's a lot of great investors that have lost a great deal of money because they made bad decisions. Uh, a lot of it is through bias, but sometimes it's through analysis. I don't believe that's the case here. We have a, a track record to show that that's not the case. But uh, nonetheless, we have to follow the law. <laughs>